Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 216. Charles Bose said something that I've always liked, and he's the one who said, the important thing is this, to be able at any moment to sacrifice what we are for what we could become. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited. I mean really excited to introduce a very special guest, Satch Carlson. Satch? Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? You're so easy. <laughs> oh, that's the first time anybody sitting next to me has said that. <laughs> that's the <laughs> <a> first. <laughs> Stand on it. Yeah, I will. Pedal to the metal. Seth Carlson is a raconteur, a humorist, and a veteran correspondent of what he calls the international motorsport journalism business. He spent years as a columnist and featured writer at Auto Week magazine and many other publications before taking the helm of Roundel Magazine, the official publication of the 70,000-plus member BMW Car Club of America. He also contributes monthly columns to Hemmings Sport and Exotic Car Magazine, and he's active participant in driving events and tours, and he's at home equally on the track as much as the open road. He loves his Z4M Roadster so much, he was once heard to say, when I die, just put handles on the Roadster and dig a deep hole. This sounds like something Satch would say. Satch, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your career, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, a lot of people ask me uh, how I got started at Auto Week magazine because that seems kind of strange to them since I was living in Alaska at the time. <laughs> yes. Was, yeah. Um, the mid seventies, I think it was, uh, I can, I can pin it down if I were to look in some old notebooks because it's all Bob Bondurant's fault. Oh, really? Yeah. I was, uh, an ice racer in Alaska at that time. And, and one year the ice didn't get thick enough for us to have what we called the North American icing championships. So we moved back downtown. They had had downtown races on the streets of Anchorage in the, in the earlier fifties. And so they said, well, why don't we, why don't we have these races in downtown Anchorage? And so they plowed all the snow and built these big snow berms. So it was sort of like racing on a very wet track between concrete walls. <laughs> and somebody said, 
well, let's have a guest driver. Because we, we had guest drivers for the ice races. We had uh, Pedro Rodriguez was up driving one oh, year. Wow. And Prince Leopold of Bavaria came and, and drove in the ice races. Oh, my gosh. So we didn't have any ice for Bondurant, but somebody invited him to come up and drive a 240Z with a uh, Chevy small block engine stuffed in it. <laughs> uh, so, of course, he said yes to that. And at this time, a good friend of mine had a teletype machine because he was an architect, and he needed this teletype machine to communicate with clients on the North Slope. And his office was just right around the corner from my house. And so I went to his teletype machine, and I knew that Auto Week magazine had a teletype number. And I looked up their teletype number, and I painfully typed out, Onderant in Anchorage for street races, do you want a story? And they <laughs> you know, said, yeah, sure, we don't care. And so I wrote up the, the story of, of Onderant on the street races, and of course, it was kind of a short story since he stuffed it into a snowbank on uh -oh. about the second lap. Ooh. Yeah, Chevy engine, 240Z, not a good combination on wet streets. Anyway, uh, no. <laughs> so at this time, Auto Week uh, was uh, two guys at Stead Air Force Base north of Reno, the, the former decommissioned Stead Air Force Base. Auto Week had their offices there. Uh, Crane Communications had, had bought Auto Week. Mm -hmm. And the two guys there were Corey Farley and Reed Flickinger. And it turned out that was basically the entire staff of the magazine. They said, yeah, do you want to write any, any more stories for us? And I said, yeah, I think you guys need a humor column. Mm. And they said, well, what, <laughs> what would that be like? And yeah. so I sent them three. Um, by this time, I wasn't doing the teletype anymore. I was actually putting them in an envelope and sending them to Reno since I had their mailing address. And I think for the, uh, the, the younger listeners, a teletype was like the precursor to Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it was just about as fast as I am on a, on a cell phone, too, you know, <laughs> typing out, you know, which, where are those keys again? Yep. So anyway, anyway, I sent them three sample columns, and they said, oh, how often could you do these? And I said, how often do you come out? Mm -hmm. You know, because they were a weekly magazine, and I figured, hmm, getting paid four times a month as opposed to one time a month would be a good idea. Oh, yeah. And so and then I was there for, oh, I would say 15 years or so. Anyway, into the the late 80s. Yeah. Before, then I got a call. You know, I was unemployed for, for several years. And I got a call from uh, Yale Racklin, who was the editor of yes, Brown Bell Magazine. Yes, remember said, Yale uh, well. Yeah, and I said, he said, you know, how would you like to write for the BMW Car Club? Every once in a while, we'd like to see those three initials in your column. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that, that's how I came to be with Roundell, and I've been there ever since. Yeah, you've been with Roundell a long time, and I'm a, uh, a member, have been a member of the BMW Club for a long time, and enjoyed Yale back when he was in charge, and have enjoyed you ever since. So it's fantastic, a wonderful story of many journalists, writers, authors who've been on this show who started by simply sending a story to somebody. And yeah. it's a great lesson for an entrepreneur. Sometimes just take that step. Just put your work in front of somebody's nose and see what happens. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? Satch, I know you love to drive, so take the wheel. 
Well, I like the idea of inspirational quotes because I have many, many inspirational quotes. The problem is figuring out, you know, what would I say is my, my ultimate inspirational Of course. Well, I like one thing that uh, Jerzy Kaczynski allegedly said to his students is, uh, you know, I am not a missionary. I am not here to save you. I can only save myself from what is happening to you. <laughs> There's room in my boat if you want to jump in. That's kind of an obscure and wandering quote. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then there's Charles Bose said something that I've always liked. Mm -hmm. And he's the one who said, the important thing is this, to be able at any moment to sacrifice what we are for what we could become. Ooh. And I always thought, wow, that's, that's really inspirational, you know, to be able to turn your back on where you are and what you're doing and say, I'm going to go in a new direction. I'm going to try something new. You know, I love that. Yeah, I love that quote. Well, you can boil it down, because in the 1960s, Steppenwolf came out with a song called It's Never Too Late to Start All Over Again. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> there you go. And so you know, here we are. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. If you take that quote, how have you incorporated that into your life? Well, the, the whole reinventing yourself, as they say, I was pretty much retired from just about everything when I got the call from Yale to uh, start writing again. And then I did some writing, and I was, I was sort of content with that. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I had a chance to go to work for a software company, and that was in the late 1990s. And I was no sooner settled down in the software company writing sort of how to process the code that you've just been given. In mm -hmm. other words, sort of the user annuals for clients of custom software. Wow. I cannot imagine reading what you wrote for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm... Well, see, that was the thing. <laughs> I mean, if you want to let the coders write it, that's fine. But nobody will be able to figure out how to run the program. Yes, exactly. So my job was basically translating a weird foreign language, you know, from antisocial people who should be living in the basement to, <laughs> you know, the people who had to use their programs. Yeah. And that was fine. I mean, I liked, I liked the job. I liked the people. It was, it was great fun. And then Yale retired. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I thought, well, what am I going to do now? Because what if the new editor doesn't like my column? <laughs> so you just became the boss. <laughs> That's it. I you know? love it. I yeah. love it. <laughs> well, yeah, but but I've I've continued to write the damn column, and I, now I don't get paid for it. <laughs> well, we enjoy it. I enjoy it every month. I know the BMW okay. listeners and readers, if you will, enjoy it very much. So you're you're doing a great job there. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? I know you've been a car guy for just about ever. But is there a pivotal moment you can think of in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? Hmm. Pivotal moments. You're not talking about driving on ice again, are you? Well, I could be. Maybe that was it. Done some pivoting there, I'll tell you. Uh, yes. <laughs> I thought about this the other day, and I was trying to figure out, you know, when did I start being a car guy? Yeah. When did I have this insane passion for automobiles and decide that was obviously the most important thing in the world? And I can't put an exact moment on it, but... I do know that one time when I was hanging out in a bar in Virginia City with my mother, and I would have been about mm, maybe 10, mm -hmm. some friends of hers from the Bay Area had driven up in their Austin Healy. And, of course, you know, 
would you like a ride, little feller? <laughs> yeah. And so I was, you know, in this big Austin Healy, bar- barely able to see over the dashboard and, you know, flying down the Geiger grade. And I thought, wow, this could be fun. And that's the first time I really remember being in love with the automobile. But, you know, I have images of automobiles from my, almost from my infancy sure. floating around in my head. So, yeah, it's always been there. Cool. <laughs> the inspirational moment, I think, you know, by the, by the time I got to high school, there were two kinds of car guys even then. Mm-hmm. And there were hot rodders and there were sports car people. Yes. And I had, I had read The Red Car. Big mistake. And I guess that would have been about seventh grade. So I decided that, you know, the world revolved around MGTCs. Mm-hmm. So we have these big arguments over which was better, a sports car or a hot rod and blah, blah, blah. And I sort of fell onto the side of the sports car guys. And I sort of cheated because my dream car was a 1961 Corvette. Mm. Now that's sort of a sports car. But I mean, if you think about it in terms of handling dynamics and things like that. No, it wasn't. It was basically a straight-line hot rod. It was very, very good at that. Right. And I wanted this car desperately, and I had a picture of it on my bedroom wall. And then they came out with the E-Type Jaguar, Mm. and the entire back cover, I can remember this to this day, of Road & Track magazine, was just a picture of the Roadster, and the one line saying, this is the new Jaguar XKE. And then there was a British postal stamp in the upper corner. And I thought, wow, this is just wonderful. So I, I either shoplifted or paid for that copy <laughs> and you know, quickly ripped the cover off. And that went up, up on the wall next oh, to the yes. 61 Corvette. I've never owned either of those cars ever since. But I, you know, if I, if the, in my ultimate collection, I will have one of each. Well, we share something because my first experience in a a car that I recall was an MGA. Actually, I don't recall that one because I was only one. But my dad, when I was about four, bought an MGTC. And I do remember riding around on that little shelf behind he and my mom back in the day. (laughs) And then my first toy car was a Matchbox by Lesney, a red Jaguar XKE, which really set it off. I still have that to this day. So we share a little bit in common there. Satch, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood, as I always say, and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your career. But the most important part of this question has to do with how you overcame it. And of course, even more important, what did you learn from it? Well, I think that probably the biggest challenge came from being unemployed and sort of cruising along on kind of automatic pilot there for several years. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the critical point came when, you know, I had to decide whether I wanted to apply for Yale's job or not, mm-hmm. because I, I really had no intentions of being an editor. I never thought of myself as an editor, uh, although I had been an editor for a newspaper earlier on in my career. And, you know, I know where the commas go and things like that, but I thought, uh, if this is the only way to preserve what I'm doing now is to take over the whole magazine, then let's give that a shot. I talked about it, and I talked about it even then. It was kind of interesting because the executive director of the BMW Car Club of America at that time, uh, Mark Luckman, asked me about it when I put into the board for, for this position. 
they had interviewing committees and all of that, and, and it was quite a process to, to come up with a new editor to replace Yale, or at least take his place. I don't think anybody could replace Yale. Mm-hmm. So he said, well, you know, apparently he was thinking of, of you know, Satch Carlson, the Auto Week columnist or something. By that time, I didn't think of myself as Satch Carlson, the Auto Week columnist anymore. I thought of myself as Satch Carlson, the guy who would really like to get paid for something. <laughs> and so he said, well, what is it going to be like, you know, running a magazine for a car club? You know, as opposed to this guy who used to have a national audience with Auto Week magazine. And I said, well, I think of it as being the class clown who gets elected class president. <laughs> and and it's kind of hard, to, you know, if you, if you create a persona, mm-hmm. which any humorist does, and I would rather be known as a humorist than anything else. Things are less and less funny by the day, which is kind of a problem with that business, but... If you're a humorist and then you have something serious to say, why should anybody take you seriously? Oh, and I so see. Yeah. That, that's kind of a problem. And the other side of that is if you're the editor <laughs> and then you write a column, then and your column has to be sort of, this is editorial importance. And uh, I don't do that as well as I do, you know, this crazy guy has stolen the keys. <laughs> so to solve that problem, I moved my column. Uh, and and I named the column. It's not just Satch Carlson. I think we call it the running on empty. It's in the back of the book anyway. My column <laughs> runs on the last yep. page of the book. And so then the, in the front of the book, there is an editorial page where I briefly either introduce this issue or say something philosophical about the weather. It's less humorous, I hope, and <laughs> you know more pontificating. And you know, sure. so serious readers can can read that one, and people who just want the funny stuff can open the magazine from the back, and there we are. Sure. Well, I think you do a nice job of balancing the two, as I've been a reader of Roundel forever and ever, so kudos to you, and I appreciate you sharing, sharing that very personal story with transition times in your life. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those aha moments that you had in your career, a time when you realized that, you know what? I think this is the right direction to go. And tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. Hmm. <laughs> Let's see, an aha moment. Yeah. There was a confrontation um, with the, it wasn't really a confrontation, but it was the, I guess it was my editorial stamp mm-hmm. when I kind of declared what the hell we were doing with Roundell Magazine. And this was to the, to the nine-member board of directors. And uh, at this time, uh, this would have been probably when I got the job in 1998. Mm-hmm. And I told them, I said, uh, at that time we had about 40,000 members and we were really hoping that someday we would see 45. And I said, you know, you're, you're really not a club because 40,000 people do not fit in a clubhouse. <laughs> yes. What you people are doing here is you're putting out a magazine. And I said, and we're not competing with Porsche Panorama or, you know, the Chevy Pickup Weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not competing with other car club magazines. We're competing with Car and Driver and Automobile and Road and Track because we have to attract national advertising. Yes. And we have to have a product that they are willing to spend money to advertise in. So first of all, there has to be that quality. But an even bigger breakthrough, and I suppose this was an aha moment, was that we have 
way, way, way too many columnists, myself included, of course. But there's a reason for that, and that's what I explained to the board, too, is we have so many columnists because just as 40,000 people don't fit in a clubhouse, of our 67 chapters, anybody who actually does anything, like goes to an autocross or a car show or cars and coffee or gets together with other members or, or anything, is about 10%. So you've got about 90% of the people who belong to a club, but they don't go to meetings. What are they getting? So basically, they're getting the magazine. Well, when you have a bunch of personality writers, like me and the other columnists in the thing, my ambition is that the average member gets his Roundel magazine, sits down with it, reads through it, reads his favorite columnists, skips over the ones he can't stand. But basically, at the end of that, hour or two. He feels like he's just been sitting in a bar for a couple of hours with friends, you know, telling stories, listening right. to stories. Yeah. And that to me is is the club experience. So I guess that's an aha moment in, in terms of defining what the hell it is I'm doing. <laughs> I love it. What a great story. How about proudest moments? I assume you've had many throughout your career and your life, but is there one in particular that really stands out you'd share with us? Uh I managed to win several ice rallies in a 45-year-old Saab Sonnet against a bunch of Subarus, but that's not really mine because those are TSD rallies, so all the credit for that goes to my navigator, who was Russ Krausar. <laughs> yeah. and, and so I, so I don't get to, I, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of those moments, mm-hmm. but, but they certainly aren't, aren't mine to be proud of. It's like when I'm listed as one of the winners of One Lap of America because in 1992, John Buffum and Tom Grimshaw and I took an M5 running around the country to these various tracks. And basically, my job was to drive the overnight sections from track to track while Buffum slept in the back seat and Grimshaw <laughs> navigated the route and told us how long I had to get us there. <laughs> so I was I was what we call a transit driver in, in marathon rallying. Yeah. And yet I was part of the winning team. So there you go. Uh, and, I, and I was proud of that. But but basically, you know, who did the driving on the tracks that counted? That would have been Buffum. Sure. But if he hadn't gotten to the track he couldn't have won. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess I'm very proud of the fact that I was driving through, like, Virginia or South Carolina or something. They're all the same to me. <laughs> and it's raining, and it's cold and miserable, and it's mountain roads. And I looked in the mirror and saw that Buffum was sound asleep in the back seat. I thought, well, if I can drive well enough that, you know, John Buffum is not worried that I'm going to crash and kill us all, then, you know, I'm doing okay. There you go. But And I did win the 11th annual international imitation Hemingway contest. No kidding. I was proud of that. <laughs> yeah. There you <laughs> yeah, go. I'll send you a copy of that sometime. I would like yeah. to read that. Yeah. Fantastic. You would probably enjoy that. Yes. I think so. I think so. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your sure. first really special car? And share a moment you had with that vehicle. I'm not sure about my first special car. Because there are so many special cars for different reasons. I mean, the first car you buy... For yourself mm-hmm. is special. Yeah. I mean, your first car is special. I got 1953 Mercury from uh, my mother and her fifth husband. When I turned 16, they gave me a car. I love that car. I waxed it with lemon pledge. <laughs> and 
I drove it for several weeks before the police towed it away because it had never been registered. Uh oh. So, <laughs> well, they were supposed to, you know, my parents, I thought, were taking care of that. And, yeah, and yeah. That car disappeared. The first car I bought myself was a, a 1943 military Jeep. So, yeah, that was that was kind of special. Yeah, and uh, that was when I was in Nevada, you know, kind of a desert rat, and that was that was fun. Perfect. And then the next Jeep I bought was the car I bought to move to Alaska, and that was a, a 1964 CJ5. And uh, oh, my yeah. friend Russ Huntoon and I promptly dropped a Corvette engine in it, and <laughs> off I went to Alaska. Sounds so. sounds like fun. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've let go in your past that you really wish you could have back in the garage? I thought about this question a lot, and yes, of course there are. But I think you also ought to have a buyer's remorse question. You know, uh, which which cars did you buy that you you know you look at yourself now and say, you know what, I like that. I'm mind? gonna I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> I might add that because there's a question coming up here that was not on my original list, and it's going to be the next question about if you okay. were a, if you were a car. But again. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, buyer's remorse. <laughs> I like it. My seller's remorse, you know, I, I know a friend of yours just bought a 3LCS. Oh, yeah. Did from, you see those pictures I sent you? Yes. Yes, yes I did. Beautiful car. Well, the 3LCS actually was the first BMW to really register on my consciousness. I mean, I know that there were, uh, you know, the 2002s, and, and they were raced in the Trans Am series and so forth. And, you know, if, if Peter Brock and his damn Dotsons hadn't been there, they'd have done just fine. <laughs> yes. Darn you, Peter. And that was okay. But, I, you know, I was not a big BMW junkie at that time. And yet, the first time I saw a 3LCS, it was literally in a showroom in Reno, Nevada, and I just stopped and stared at it and said, that is a beautiful car. And about 10 years later, I bought one, used obviously, but it was a it was very, very pretty car in, mm-hmm. in Malaga. It's either called Malaga or Malaga, and we get into barroom fights over the proper pronunciation. I, I like Malaga. That sounds much yeah. more elegant. <laughs> yeah, it does. Okay, so I have this Malaga 3LCS. <laughs> there you go. I love that car. You know, that, that was a wonderful car. And I... Still, I'm not quite sure why I sold that, although I was busy buying other cars at the time, too. And I sold it to a friend of mine. I bought it for ten five, uh, which was all the money in the world, certainly to me. Mm-hmm. And then I sold it to a friend of mine a few years later, a couple of years later, at least, for about 7500 And she loved the car, too. The problem is that uh, uh, she blew a head gasket on it, and that warped the head. And then she hated me for selling her this, you know terrible automobile uh. <laughs> and, but yeah would i like to have that one back oh oh yeah. yeah 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 they're beautiful cars and i've never gotten to really play with one up close but my buddy bill bought one out of europe and i got to drive him up to the port here in seattle and pick the car up it was a driving rainstorm he was just so upset because the weather was so bad that day and i followed him all the way back down to tacoma and it was just wonderful to sit behind that car and, and look at it from the back and at one point a brand new big 7 Series pulled up next to him on the freeway, and the guy, I saw his head looking over going, oh, my gosh. And, boy, the difference in the size of those two vehicles was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just incredible how big cars have gotten. You know, even when you think about BMWs, of course, you know, the 3 Series versus 2002s or, BMW, or Porsche 911s, everything's just gotten so much bigger. But I think I might change that question thanks to you, Satch. I appreciate that. Well, you don't have to change it, but, you know, I think you need an additional yeah, question. You know, I like that. Which cars that. do we regret buying? I like that. Another car I always say that I wish I still had, it is not quite true. I was happy to sell it, but I loved the car. 
But that was the Citroen SM, you know, with the, oh. the V6 Maserati engine in it. Yes. It was a wonderful car. It was an amazing car. And they came either with a five-speed manual or with a piece of crap GM automatic. <laughs> and mine had that automatic. Yeah. It, it had had the five-speed. I, I do believe, and I've always said this, but I do believe it, that I would have kept that car forever. Yeah, they just those cars just was a wonderful car. They just float on a cloud. They're really amazing. Yeah, I, I had a guest, uh, Kinji Yoshino, who sells Citroen parts here in the Northwest, and uh, he's given me rides in many Citroens. Uh, really surprising cars when you get inside of those. Uh, everything about them is surprising, but uh, that's a story for another time. And before we get to that one question about the kind of car you are, which I can't wait to hear. How about <laughs> how about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, we can skip that getting, and go right to the next deadline. Gets, gets me fired up. Uh, no. yes. I'm I'm slowly restoring my my 325iX. It's one of those things that you know I would be glad not to do it, but I have so much money in that car that I can never sell it because that would kill me because I would be throwing all this money in a hole. Right. Well, in the meantime the car is slowly rotting away because I don't pay any attention to it. So I'm throwing all this money in a hole. So the only thing I can do is restore the car and then, you know, do it uh, like, you know, the, the uh, three series picnic that they have in Seattle every yes. year, uh-huh. but, you know, I'll take it to that and I may go, you know, play with a few gravel rallies with it and, yeah. you know, this, this and that, but that's really not where I'm spending most of my time anymore. So it, it's kind of, you know, an albatross around my neck. I so it's, it's a project, but it's kind of a grudging project. Yeah, I understand. That's the car you brought up to the Northwest last time you were up here that we yes. we got together. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. That's yeah. the car. Yeah. That's the one in the picture of, yep. of you and me. Uh-huh. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. All right. Here we go. If Sats Carlson was a car, <laughs> what kind of car would he be and why? You know, I hate that question. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, it, 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 it's, <laughs> Well, no, I mean, they used to, to do that every once in a while. Some interviewer would ask a question of an actor or somebody like that. They would say, well, if you were a tree, uh, what kind of a tree <laughs> you would know, you who, be? Who cares man? about trees? We're talking about yeah, cars. Well, this is cars, yeah, yeah well, not what, trees. What kind yeah. of a car would I be? Yeah, I'd, I'd yeah. Probably be, I'd probably be a Citroen. <laughs> well, and this is why I asked the question, because it tells the listeners and me a little bit of how you perceive yourself, because it's the question isn't what kind of car would you want to be? What kind of car are you? Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then it's definitely, not only is it a Citroen du Chevaux, but it's broken. It's broken. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that tires are flat. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. Here we go. Well, okay. I'll accept that. I'll accept that. <laughs> We're about to enter the last lap, but before we do, here's a word from our sponsor and Cars yeah guest, Dwight Knowlton. Carpe Viem, seize the road. It's the motto at CarpeGear.com, where you'll find the Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an inspirational award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's car book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves the little red racing car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find his book, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. 
Enjoy Carpe Viem at CarpeGear.com. And be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's CarpeGear.com. C-A-R-P-E Gear.com. All right, Satch, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And you're a guy who likes to get out on the track. You know what this means. The white flag is out. Time to put the foot down. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Yes, sir. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Uh, That would be in 2008 when I was down signing the papers to buy my Roadster. And I was having... Pre-buyer's remorse, and I called my oldest friend, Russ Antoon in Reno, and I said, am I, am I nuts? Is this, you know, middle-aged crisis? And he said, you're too old for middle-aged crisis. And then he said, sign the papers. This ain't no dress rehearsal. So I did. <laughs> there you go. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Does champagne count as a personal habit? Uh, yeah. I'll go with champagne. Champagne? Yeah. I like I'm it. going with champagne. Okay, we'll do it. I'll have a toast. How about resources? I know there are a lot out there with the website these days, but is there a a website or a blog or someplace you find yourself quite often that you think the Car Show listeners should also be? My quick answer to that is I don't have any resources, but I thought of one. <laughs> you know, the the website Alibris? Oh. And oh. Yeah, I, I use that all the time. I buy obscure motoring books and, and books by my favorite motoring authors and, and things like that. Yeah. I can usually find it. I can even find copies of my old book. On, you know, it's been out of print for 20 years, but I can sometimes find copies on Alibus. I can't afford them, but I can find them. <laughs> how, how is that spelled? <laughs> A-L-I-B-R-I-S. Okay, okay, great. Alibris. Great, awesome. They're kind, of a, they're kind of a clearinghouse for used booksellers. And somehow, you know, like, it, like if you go on there, um, looking for running on empty, the you know the best of Satch Carlson. <laughs> you go to their site and you put in Satch Carlson, uh-huh. and it'll come up with running on empty if they have any for sale. And they won't have them for sale, but there will be you know two or three booksellers all around the world that let them know that they have these for sale. So that's that's how it works. Very cool, very cool. How, well, speaking of books, if you could recommend just one book to our listeners, oh, that would be Catch Twenty Two. Catch twenty two. I mean, you have to. Yeah, you have to read Catch twenty two about every five years, and I mean, it gets it gets more and more bizarre how accurately it portrays our society. It was written about World War two, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just getting funnier and weirder all the time. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, you meant car books? Okay. Well, it doesn't have to be a car book. I think that's quite acceptable. But if there's a car book we could add to the list, please, please. Oh, ab- absolutely. And I do this with new writer, and you know. Geez, I'm getting so old that they're all new writers these days. <laughs> but we have uh, something called the Ken Purdy Award uh, that they hand out to the best automotive writer uh, every year, or not every year, but on occasion. And the reason we call it that is for Ken Purdy. But most of today's writers have never heard of Ken Purdy, or they've never read Ken Purdy. I mean, mm-hmm. I read him growing up because he was a magazine writer as well. Mm-hmm. But he wrote a book in about 1950 called Kings of the Road, hmm. and each chapter is about some significant automobile or era in automobiles, the, the Bugatti and the racing Mercedes and so forth. And the writing is so good that occasionally, if I have a new writer that I think is pretty good, I will send him or her this book and say, well, take a look at this and see if you 
understand now why you don't, you know, just because you're writing about cars doesn't mean that you can't write. Right. The other one, of course, would be the Bob Odom and Bill Neely book, Stand on It by Stroke Race. Mm. Now, I, I know you're thinking of the horrible movie, you know, with uh, his name escapes me now because I hated it so much. <laughs> but the book itself, you know, the, the, the mythical author is Stroke Race, and it's sort of an autobiographical tale called Stand on It by Stroke Race. And Odom was the motorsports guy at uh, Sports Illustrated. And Bill Neely was uh, a NASCAR writer primarily. And these guys said, you know, all these great stories, you know, Augie Paps driving the rental car into the swimming pool and all of these, <laughs> these wonderful stories about race car drivers and how, you know, crazy they are, are going to get lost. Yeah. So what let's do is we will create a character, Stroker Ace, and we will have him, chapter by chapter, do all of these things. Mm-hmm. And so they did, and they wrote the book by sending the manuscript back and forth to each other. One would write one chapter, and the other would write the next chapter, and so forth, until they had a book together. Very and cool. yeah. <laughs> I considered the, the, the first three pages of this book, which I reread aloud, you know, if I can get anybody to sit still for it, every once in a while, because I consider it to be the funniest writing and the truest inside look at, at motorsport. This, in this particular instance, it's Indianapolis, but it, it, it applies to any motorsport. Yeah. And, and it's just wonderful. And uh, unfortunately, you know, Odom died first and Bill, De- Bill Neely died uh, just a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can still find the book, you know, especially at places like Alibur's. And so I recommend it. Stand on it by Stroker Race. <laughs> very cool. I think the movie you're thinking of is that, yes, very silly movie with Burt Reynolds, and I think it was Lonnie. Ah, uh, Burt Reynolds, there's the name. And Lonnie Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes, yeah, no, no, no tie to the book. To the movie. Just buy the book. <laughs> Just yeah. buy the book. Well, I'll remind our listeners you can find links to all these great resources at com slash Satch Carlson. All right, Satch, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for some folks. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, don't worry, you don't have to get rid of the Roadster. We won't count that. <laughs> okay, you can keep that car. But money's no object. I'll buy you whatever you'd like today. So that's pretty cool. What would that one vehicle be and why? I think the why is probably more important than the what. Mm. And I think most people, even if they think about what they would like as a collector car, mm-hmm. you know, they haven't done a lot of thinking about the why. I mean, a lot of collectors like to collect just because they want a bunch of shiny cars or something, or they fall in love with a car. That's the best reason to buy a car is you fall in love with it. Right. And, you know, there are so many cars that I've fallen in love with. If you think of the Ralph Lauren collection, I mean, <laughs> especially his Ferraris. Yes. And they made a movie once where they, they put his Ferraris on display at the Boston Art Museum or something. And it, it, it's a fascinating documentary, and I, and I love it. And one of the things that he points out is that every one of these cars is a significant car. I mean, he didn't just go buy a 250. You know, he went and bought the this 250 because it has this story behind it. So right. with that said, the car that has the best story, I believe, uh, is the number 722 Mercedes 300 Roadster mm. that Sterling Moss and Dennis Jenkinson drove in 1955 Media. Yes. I mean, it is just magnificent. I mean, they averaged over 98 miles an hour for 1,000 miles. You know, and, and, and it's 
that's not a thousand miles on a track. That's a thousand miles through Italy. Yes. And so that to me is such a significant car. If it's a car that I am to have and use, I'm not exactly going to go driving around in a, you know, three liter Mercedes. So <laughs> to me, I guess it comes down to the uh, BMW Z8. Ooh. Well, there's a reason for that. And, you know, ordinarily I would say, well, the BMW 507. Well, you know, I've driven 507s, and, and the 507 was okay for its day. But the Z8 was built, designed deliberately to echo and salute and honor the 507. Mm-hmm. And also honors and echoes half a dozen other cars. It looks like an E-type in some looks, and it's got a thundering 400-horsepower V8 engine. So my, you know, my Corvette jeans are stimulated there and <laughs> and so and you know and from a collector point of view their their values are you know they've they've gone probably down as far as they're going so you know you yeah. leave a decent car to your your grieving widow <laughs> which is why i have one you have a z8 or a grieving widow well i have a z8 <laughs> okay. I, I don't have a grieving widow yet <laughs> that's good <laughs> and here's how crazy bankers are Mm-hmm. I have I have twelve year money on this car. <laughs> twelve year money. <laughs> twelve year money. Yes, yes. I have a twelve year auto loan. Well, you know, I didn't know that you had a Z8, and I got to drive a Z8 years ago. Uh, a friend of mine came by, Steve, up here in the Northwest, and pulled up in front of my office at the time, and I just went, "Oh man, he's got a Z8." And I went out, talked to him, and he's such a nice guy. He said, "Here, take it for a drive and stand on it," and I did. And that's probably Steve Norman. <laughs> yes, yes, it is Steve Norman. You know Steve as well. I figured you would. And you know what? I was so impressed in so many ways by that car, more than I thought I would be. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, another gentleman up here in the Northwest that owns a local BMW store I bought all my all my 12 BMWs from, Manfred Charmack at BMW Northwest, has a couple of them. And oh my goodness. Yes, great choice. Wonderful cars. I had no idea you had one of those. So next time I'm in San Diego, you're going to have to take me for a ride. <laughs> well, it's not It's not here yet. Oh, okay. A new acquisition? Well, it's a fairly recent acquisition, and it's uh, in the Pacific Northwest, so we can play with some events there. And it's actually, you know, I have to say that it's Kelly's car, ah. because I would never name a car Buffy. <laughs> I hope not. Well, if it's up here in the Northwest and you need somebody to drive it to San Diego, you have my phone number, and I'm oh, perfect. I'm perfect. making a public offer right now. I will happily drive it down to San Diego for you. Yeah, it, it's it should uh, be in the in the Northwest Classic Rally uh, out of uh, Portland in July, ah, and I I think Kelly and the the editor of uh, Bimmer Magazine, Jackie Gray, who's another BMW fan of course and those yes. to get along like a house of fire you don't want to turn them loose together they're very dangerous <laughs> women Thelma and Louise. So they're taking off in, <laughs> yes exactly so they're taking off in a black z8 and running around the pacific oh, well congratulations very very cool that that's awesome Satch, you have taken me on a great ride today i knew you would i'm so happy that you joined me here at cars yeah and i want to thank you for sharing your journey with the cars yeah listeners and with me if you could give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Z8, what would it be? Hmm. Parting advice. Yes. Okay. Select your parents very carefully. <laughs> I'd suggest somebody named Rockefeller or maybe Gates. 
Yeah. You know, uh, if you can't do that, then then I guess we have to go with uh, Neely and Odom because they open stand on it. You know, the the book by Stroker Ace yes. with with his philosophy, and Stroker yeah. Ace says, if you're ever going to stand on it, stand on it now. The longer you wait, the slower you get. <laughs> Great advice. Listeners, again, you can find links to everything Satch has shared with us today at carsyad.com. Just put Satch in the search box and his show notes page will pop right up. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and what you're up to? Well, I guess by following along with uh, Roundell Magazine and the BMW Car Club. Let me see if I can think of the website for that. It's probably bmwcca.org. Okay. And, yeah. You know, I know we've got a, a page, and and they do Facebook stuff, they do Twitter stuff. Notice I say they. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I understand. I handle the print stuff. Yep, the old-fashioned print stuff. Well, I'll make sure yeah. that we have links to the publication. And you know what? You Excellent. don't have, you don't have to be a huge BMW fan to enjoy that magazine. But it is a great publication. I've gotten it for years, and I love the redesign you guys recently did. It's just fantastic. I'm a a graphics guy, a creative guy. I think you did a wonderful job with the redesign. Very tough thing to do in any kind of publication is to make a a somewhat radical change, but I think everything you've done has been for the better. So bravo to you and your team there. Fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. Satch, thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and, and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. It's been great fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks a lot, Mark. I'll talk to you soon. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!